0: Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers' Program.
1: No holes shot through the ears, no pants on women for God's sake, no saying, God's sake, as if we knew what he wanted.
0: This program features the work of 2022 writer Carrie Beyer. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator Michael Schmelzer, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio.
2: Uh, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about your Jack Straw project?
1: Sure. My project is a group of poems featuring the voices of church women, and I took my inspiration from the German-American Anabaptist farming community that I grew up in, in rural Kansas. For me, this environment was filled with so much sensory detail, from the a cappella hymns that were sung in church to the manner of speech, and I think the idea of Silence for women is such an interesting one. There is um, a directive taken from the epistles in the Bible that women be silent in the churches. And so that is one of the big ideas I explore in the project of what it is to be silenced as a woman, whether in a particular context or in other patriarchal or hierarchical systems. So, yeah, for instance, I, so much being dictated by men as far as what women were allowed to wear or how to arrange their hair. These poems give voice to women who ordinarily would need to just swallow their own desires, so I think of them as windows into desire.
2: I like that you mentioned windows, and I know that in your Jack Straw application you have this beautiful phrase that you said there is a hidden soundtrack for survival and liberation within these texts. Mm. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit about that. Like, how do you attune yourself to that hidden soundtrack?
1: When I'm writing, I do literally at times turn on hymns to try to evoke a certain emotion or a memory. Um, I also think about... Women in this context and the power that they hold, perhaps in a cappella singing where they're carrying the melody. I think about them in the context of doing domestic work in a kitchen. Um, and so their expertise is something that has to be in place for a culture like this to survive. It's interesting, as I'm putting this project together, to think about what is unsilenced that needs to be said. And maybe pain or the act of creativity can disrupt that pattern for a woman. And I think that's what I mean when I talk about liberation. Creative acts are powerful.
2: Um, I was wondering, uh, what would you like someone, and it could be your children, it could be anyone else's children, it could just be a a reader, what would you like someone to take away from your work?
1: A few years ago, I heard a lecture by the poet 5 Francis, and it was called Writing into Dissent, and it just sticks with me um, as she's talking about writing about more difficult emotions and she said we don't owe the reader anything to try to like make an uplift at the end of our poems because so many times that can turn into cliché when it's when it's not genuine and i think that type of honesty is is something i really try to connect with in my poems, and I talk about this in relation to children, not because we want to lay all the heaviness of the world upon them. Mm -hmm. I don't think that my poems are for children when they are children, but I do think children and and humans are very perceptive when it comes to platitudes or insincerity. So that that piece of conveying um, emotion, Mm -hmm. no matter how harrowing it may be, um, I think is an entrance to connecting with other people through art, especially during the pandemic when you don't have a lot of ways to be in community with people. I think I have relied more heavily on art, and even if I'm reading someone's work, someone who's come from a very different context than I have, it's through very visceral, honest emotion that I see myself and am able to connect with that very human part of us.
2: That's a, a really fascinating point that you made and when you were quoting a, fr- a poet, Francis, mm-hmm. about what basically sounds like authenticity in writing and mm-hmm. being honest about your experiences and honest about just who you are and kind of your view. Uh, I was about to ask, what advice would you give to someone starting out in their writing journey? Um, but it kind of sounds like you gave it in this very brilliant way about just not necessarily owing the reader anything, but owing a certain kind of self-honesty and self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, is is, is yeah. there anything else that you would say uh, to someone that's starting out? Like uh, Some of these things are so difficult to think about and delve into. Um, Do you have any advice about how to kind of navigate that space and remain grounded as you kind of excavate some of these very painful memories?
1: Hmm. I do think reading other people's work for anyone who's writing is really important to read broadly and read work uh, from someone who has a totally different experience than you. And so I do a lot of that. I found that when I was writing my own poems, the more personal and the more traumatic something was to me, as far as a memory, the more I would get stuck in the poem and I would want to disassociate from it. Mm-hmm. There was very helpful technique that my mentor at Pacific taught me. Matem Shifra talked about interrogating the work and she referenced Banu Kapil's The Vertical Interrogation of Strangers, which is a, a book of poetry that is completely based off of like 10 to 12 questions. And they serve as the titles of the poem in this collection. And I wasn't necessarily using my questions as titles to my poems, but I was using it as a sort of container, asking questions for instance, about my mother or the particular image in my poem, and just journaling until I had nothing else to say, until something surprising emerged. And then you can close up the book and you can put it on the shelf and step out of it. But then when you return to the poem, you're able to do that with a deeper wisdom about what you're writing.
0: Now we'll hear a selection from Carrie's live reading.
1: 2 Corinthians five, four. While we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. We would rather be away from the body. 1 Among thousands of mouths I speak, You placed a white stone on my lips, but my throat thirsts for wildfire and locusts. Two. I grew up in my father's grassland, on my back gathering blades one by one. My skin chafed from the heat, the chiggers, the dying alfalfa. At the house, my father's cousin came. My skin became someone else's, too soft. I learned to be alone, survived by grassland, hardened my flesh by what lived there. Three, but a script rolled in my brain. I followed a young man to the sea as if bound. At the shore, he offered a sponge to heal my scabbed body. I cursed at him. Four. What sour comfort to return, to lie beneath that bowl of prairie sky. O oh God, to know I have moved my bed to a new and secret chamber, to know I dip my finger in pure water. 5. God, sometimes I still flinch when you see me naked. I repeat what I want to be true. You are not here to harm me. When the Men Rose When the men rose in Baden and would not raise a weapon because the Lord had chastised Peter for the sword, Conviction whispered, go. They saw the banners of America snapping with promises. How little they needed, only land surrounding them and the warm array of like-minded folk to be enfolded by melodies of the Heimatland in the homes of men named Verkler, Strom, Kellenberger, Auberly caused faith to blossom in their breasts. They did not think to ask what the women wanted, knowing only that they liked them simple, without adornment, and strong enough for the labors of farming and childbirth. How to be submissive. They say I am too wary, too watchful, but isn't that what they trained me to be? Watchful of my nipples as they swelled away from my ribcage, insulated by others who also sprout these mysterious parts, I withdraw my legs beneath full skirts until one man might lift them and find his pleasure. Didn't I learn to pitch my voice exactly so as to beautifully blend hovering just below, being noticed within the congregation. They say, smile. They say, do not smile, lest I become a temptation. They say this as if I am a slice of cake. They say, to serve the largest portions of cake, first to the men. I want to stop thinking about my body. I want to understand what makes it so startling, so dangerous to the oncoming eye. Jesus Christ, we're told. Jesus Christ, we're told, had a penis like other men. But instead of getting a simple wife, his bride will be the whole church I try not to imagine the orgy following that heavenly feast because in this congregation the clothing is allotted by the body assigned to each at birth. Thus, I get to thinking of Jesus behaving more as these elders do, sitting on their throne-shaped chairs in the front of the sanctuary. Gazing on them, I don't think about sex at all. The curtain that hides the baptismal tub is pulled shut. Of course, on baptism Sundays, the curtain opens like a vulva, everything fleshy and wet, and the girls who have carefully hid themselves in skirts now have water dripping from them. You can see through their blouses like they have just gone swimming in a pond with boyfriends. The mothers unfurl the towels, and when the girls merge back into the pews, their faces are shining and their bodies reclothed, their hair only slightly wet. In the gospel, a woman weeps all over Jesus' feet, caressing him with oil, her long tresses unpinned. And Jesus himself touched each of the disciples' feet. It was cultural. Better to have no questions. I am relegated to this side of the church because I have breasts, and I've grown my hair and pinned it away until my wedding night. I can recite the expectations, no holes shot through the ears, no pants on women for God's sake, no saying, God's sake, as if we knew what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Killing too is a form of our ancient wandering affliction. When the mind stays serene, whatever happens to us is good. Rainer Maria Rilke, the sonnets to Orpheus field-dressed, to dad. The single women wait, each one with fingers laced together, each a bowed head shadowing a face. After a brother blesses sister Ruby's church lunch, we grip the handles of hot carafts to pour coffee into the men's porcelain cups. Our arms are smooth and pale, snaking between the sheen of black suits to serve without touching male shoulders. This is your Sunday table. You sit and chuckle with Rodney, Uncle Fred, Donnie Plattner. Not many leave town. The girls, meanwhile, become adolescents. Good ones grow their hair out and start to stuff their mouths with stones. I can return to this wax museum whenever I wish, unlike the lost winter hilltop with your 243 and you, where I squatted, hidden behind the bales, sure of the metal you'd placed in my hands. Give me a target and I do not miss fire. You said yes, yes, at my baptismal proving. Satisfied, you approved your daughter As a church sister, I had done everything dead on. In the snapshot with the gutted deer, my orange jacket, teeth and eyes glare. A year later, I'd be promised to a boy not much older than me. You didn't stop the marriage. Wouldn't have stopped anything that seemed good enough. But I pushed another stone in my mouth, as I had seen other wives do. I grew ashamed of the rifle, ashamed I wanted to kill. Hunched with you on that hilltop, our cheeks froze. Our breath came out like ghost fruit. You pointed to the young buck cutting a line across the clearing. I had already cradled its head in the sight, moved one finger. The deer surged into the air and fell. I shouted and ran toward it, you laughing at my delight. The buck breathed heavily. You spread the back legs, slit the hide. The organs steamed, spilling armfuls of stomach, liver, intestines onto the grass. You pointed out the place my bullet had punctured a lung. I watched you. At the church table, tasting a pecan roll. Do not pity me. Trapped under a veil, the unsayable began to bloom. You taught me to discharge a bullet into silence. Thank you.
0: Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Carlos Nieto and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiadelica. Our theme music is by Ron Park, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2022 curator of this program is Michael Schmelzer, and the narrator for this podcast is Carlos Nieto. The Jack Straw Writer's Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Maddie Lotz and Cassie Nicholson for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.